Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Lit AF with me, your host, Sarah Cohan. I am so excited today to talk with you about attachment theory as it relates to polyamory as well as non-monogamy. I am so thrilled for today's guest. Her name is Jessica Fern. She is a psychotherapist, coach, and certified clinical trauma professional. She's also the author of Polysecure, Attachment Trauma and Non-Monogamy, as well as the Polysecure Workbook, Healing Your Attachment and Creating Security in Love in Loving Relationships. I really wanted to have her on the show because reading the book Polysecure really I mean, it changed my life, (laughs) to put it lightly. But she maps out attachment theory in such a beautiful way. She talks about the different attachment styles. She talks about how fearful avoidance can experience both internal chaos and external chaos with their emotions. And she also really talks about kind of the bigger, larger picture of how attachment, our environment affects our attachment. We go into that in this episode. I'm just honored that she joined us today because I feel like she is bringing so much guidance into how to look at attachment theory and how to heal your attachment. Jessica also works with individual couples and people in multi-partner relationships who no longer want to be limited by their reactive partners, cultural conditioning, insecure attachment styles, and past traumas, helping them to embody new possibilities in life and love. We go into so many different topics. I wish this conversation was twice as long because there were so many things I wanted to chat with her about. So stick around for the interview. Before that, I always have this week's check-in. And for today, I am just cruising. I'm floating from coming back from vacation in Cancun with my family. I just had a blast. Uh, We took our son to go meet um, his grandma down there and meet the rest of the family. And it was so much fun. It was, oh my God. (laughs) I love going to see my family in Mexico because they're just so open and warm and hilarious and it's slightly chaotic and I just love it. (laughs) I have such a great time. I know a little bit of Spanish, but for this particular trip, I did not prepare my Spanish at all, which usually I do. I get like some tutoring, a couple lessons, like sometimes I do a little Duolingo just to like get in the mind space before going down there. But this time just with the baby and building my business and I just did not have any bandwidth. And I have to say that my Spanish really suffered because of it. And my partner's Grandpa, who has since passed away, but he when when he was still with us, he used to call me an osita flajita, which meant lazy bear about my Spanish. <laughs> and just this whole trip, I just kept hearing his words osita flajita in my mind of like, okay, girl, like we really need to get this Spanish groove going. So I think I'm gonna add that into my list this year of practicing, taking courses, like getting a little bit more serious. Serious sounds like what oh, the serious sounds like it's not going to be fun. It's going to be fun, but really trying to incorporate Espanol into more of my day is going to be my goal because I mean, as we all know, the more you know, repetition is what helps your brain learn things. So I'm looking forward to immersing myself into Espanol this year. That I can better communicate with my family down south because we've got things to say to each other. We truly do. I, it was really interesting to me, kind of this trip, realizing like how much of the piece, the puzzle that I'm actually missing when I'm communicating with them. I had a beautiful conversation with my mother in law, aka Swigna, the day before I left. And most of it was through Google Translate. And it was so slow. I mean, what an amazing tool that is, like to be able to, to chat with each other. But it was so slow and cumbersome to like go back and forth with it. And, you know, sometimes I wasn't translating quite right. And it wasn't like a natural flow of a conversation, which is what I would actually love to do. So that's my 
what's my goal for this year? And if you're listening and you've got um, some in-laws in another country in a different language, I'd love to hear from you. How do you make that work? I'm so curious. All right. That's it for my check-in today. And let's get into this episode. Okay. Jessica Fern, welcome to the show today. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited to be here. Oh my God. I'm like excited to nerd out about attachment and talk about consensual non-monogamy and your wonderful book, Polysecure. I just, I read the book and I was like, this is the most impactful book I've ever read about attachment so far. Mm, yeah. Thank you. Have you heard that a lot? I surprisingly have heard that. I didn't yes. think that would be what I heard, but people like connecting to it in a general way. Right. It's Not amazing. The niche. Yeah. 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 Cause you're talking about consensual non-monogamy and polyamory. And I love that part because I get to learn so many of the the names and the tools and there's just so much about just the situations and how they're created and what are the relationships that are going on there. And you talk about the hierarchy. We're going to get into all of this. I'm just like, yeah. I got to get it out first. <laughs> but like you talk about like the hierarchy of having multiple relationships and how to break through that and how to create secure attachment with multiple partners. And when I was reading it, I was just like, this is so great because a lot of the same tools apply to just monogamous relationships as well. Exactly. Yeah. You could take part three of my book. And yes. anyone could, you know, work on their attachment and their relationship, regardless of the structure. Yeah. 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 Was, I wanted that. Yeah. It's amazing. And then you yeah. get to like learn, learn about consensual non-monogamy in the process, which I just thought was so <laughs> cool. I have so many friends that participate in that. And I myself have tiptoed into it. And it was fascinating to learn about. I loved, there's something that you said about people that are like polyamorous or con- uh, participate in sensual, consensual non-monogamy or like relationship nerds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be, there's a correlation. Right? Like they just love relationships. And I just yeah. I thought that was so beautiful. Yeah. Well, amazing. Well, I, I would love if you could share with your listeners just how you found out about attachment theory. Yeah. I mean, I think I first learned about it like psych 101 in undergrad, (laughs) just like learned about the attachment styles and was really into it then conceptually, like, Mm. you know, as this theory was like, this is really cool. And thinking about it and looking at my own parents and step parents and thinking about how I wanted to parent one day, you know, so it was just, but it was more conceptual. Mm. And then it really wasn't until I started to work with couples. Um, that I was like, oh, this whole attachment thing, right. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not just conceptual. This is like a real thing, right? Like we have an attachment nervous system, you know, like our limbic system, our higher functioning, our, you know, brainstem functioning is like all involved in our attachment um, and seeing the need for secure functioning in partnerships. Yeah. Yeah. And then when I was sort of really exploring, not just non-monogamy, but like polyamory, like in love with more than one person, that's when I started personally go, oh yeah, this is really relevant, obviously for me too, because I'm seeing my own attachment system is responding in different ways Mm. than maybe I even expected. Mm. It's wild. It's so wild. And like one of the beautiful things, I think it's a beautiful thing about attachment is when you're with someone that's in a different insecure attachment type is they'll bring out the more part, like the other side, the opposite right. side of your right. own insecure attachment. So I love this idea that like, if you are um, surrounding yourself with multiple people for long periods of time, they're going to bring out those other parts of you, which yeah. I, mean, I think is just an invitation to heal. That can be hard right. to hear for some people. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's both ends, right? It's yeah. both this amazing invitation to know yourself better, to do deeper healing work, certain triggers that never showed up before and now showing up. It's like mm. awesome. Yeah. And then, yeah, it can be hard to be like, wait, I'm like in my body have three attachment styles right now. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah I'm right. sure. <laughs> yeah. So what, who am I? I don't even know. Right. What do I do? <laughs> we are recording during Gemini season. So I feel like that statement is particularly important right now for <laughs> right. all the Gemini listeners being like, yeah, welcome to my world. Right. <laughs> Multiple people all at the same time. I love that. Okay, so in your book, Polysecure, you really map out 
what environments create different attachment styles. Yes. And you go beyond just caregiver environments. You talk about what's going on in the world that affects our attachment. And I'm curious if you just talk a little bit about that for our listeners. Yeah. I mean, I'm not the only one to point to this, right? One of the criticisms of attachment theory in general is that sometimes it's too focused on parent and child, Mm. right? Or, you know, sort of hetero mononormative husband and wife kind of thing, right? And yes, that, you know, interpersonal experience definitely impacts our attachment, but there's things outside of that that do, right? So just what communities are we in, right? How do we get, are we marginalized or embraced by those communities? Are we rejected, you know, or loved in those communities? What are our experiences in school? I mean, that's a huge impact on our attachment system. You know, something, I don't want to say just as simple, but the experience of bullying, right? Um, or having friends, not having friends, you know? I even remember myself, like in end of elementary school, junior high school, like girls would pivot. Like one day you're my best friend, the next day you hate me and you're someone else's best friend. Like mm. it seems maybe so trivial. Right? right. And yet that like, wait, this is bonding and this was an attachment person and now it's broken. And so just all of that, you know, so what are our experiences, not just in our home, um, but also outside the home and the places we spend time, like a significant amount of time. Right. And we find meaning. And then what happens in the culture we're in, the society we're in, you know, are we experiencing marginalization and prejudice or do we experience privilege? All of that's going to have sort of a influence on how easy or hard it is to attach. You know, and they see a lot of research has shown that poverty, you know, mm-hmm. parents that are in poverty that need to work or that have to work you know, they're out of the house more than 40 hours of the week, they might love their children. But that factor of poverty is making it so it's really hard to, to bond with their children or be present and available, you know, or the disproportionate amount of black men that are in prison, right? These are fathers, these are brothers, these are sons, <laughs> right? So that racism is affecting, you know, how we can bond um, institutionalized uh, birth practices, you know, or healthcare. People might want to have a certain kind of birth and they can't afford it, right? They might have certain visions for their birth and they, they can't do it. Um, or they're in a hospital that has certain protocols for maybe very good reasons, but it's not what they wanted and it interferes with the bonding of mother and child, right? Um, at that global level, we all just went through the pandemic right? uh, and yeah. it would be hard, you know, whether, no matter what your relationship structure is, right? whether you're single, partnered, monogamous, non-monogamous, we all felt the impact of our attachment relationships, you know, from the pandemic. Uh, Too much, not enough, you know, the whole gamut, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. So if we just reduce it to, you know, partner to partner or parent to child, we're missing a lot of factors that actually can be difficult on our attachment system or even be our resiliency factors. You know, for me, it was people outside of the home were really what my, thankfully, were resiliency factors for me. Hmm. Wow. That's beautiful. It's so cohesive. I'm glad you think so. (laughs) I I want it to be more inclusive, right? Yeah. Just the different domains of our human experience. Yeah. I mean, it just really looks at the bigger picture. And one thing you said, I think it was like at the final kind of part of this chapter about other environmental factors, but you're talking yeah. about a relationship with earth and like yeah. how bonkers it is right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. 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 I mean, a lot. Yeah. I'm calling from California where we are, we were just in this like 15 year drought and now all of a sudden we have El Nino. It's crazy rain. Fire. And then like, it's just this like snowball effect of everything related to each other. The fires are happening. And then because there's the forests are burnt out and the mudslides are happening. And it's just, just like chaos, pure chaos. Yeah. And that in itself is like this relationship with earth and the symbiotic relationship that we're in and how that actually can really affect our attachment as well. Exactly. Right. I mean, and we call the earth mother earth, right? Yeah. <laughs> but right, for yeah. a reason, right? Um, but yeah, are we in relationship to the earth? You know, is there an actual attachment there, a bond that we've created? Are we pretty disconnected and unattached? You know, or, right, as you saying that, 
um, I made a move and then, you know, these environmental factors were a big consideration of like, oh, can we go back to Colorado? I don't know. All the California fires are making it every summer, so we can't breathe in Colorado. Mm. There's there's fires in Colorado, you know, mm. <laughs> Be, yeah. like that became a factor of what do we call home, mm. right? How can we ground and to have a safe haven so, and not feel that anxiety of natural disasters? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That just like, <laughs> I think when I read that part, I was like, oh my God, it goes, this goes so deep. <laughs> like it, yeah. it, it touches everything. <laughs> it's yeah, it's such a beautiful system. And I should, I should add, this is now going to be my note time. As we're talking about attachment, we'll probably go into to the specific different attachment styles. If you are, if you don't know what attachment theory is, I recommend listening to episode 102 of Lit AF. So you can just get a broad overview so you can kind of understand when we go deeper into the different attachment styles. So that's kind of my little precipice to yes. uh, go into the next question, which is why is attachment theory important? And th- what have you seen with your clients for both monogamous and monogamous, non-monogamous relationships? Yeah, I think it's important for both monogamous and non-monogamous relationships, right? Is our nervous system in these partnerships, you know, is looking for like, are you there for me? Are you available? Are you attuning to me? Do I matter? You know, and we need to have the feedback or the experience and the reciprocation of those things. Yeah. And so often when partners are struggling and it can be one thing, but it's really a symptom a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times it can be most issues that partners bring to the table um, are often about a certain level of do you feel safe do you feel secure do you feel like you can you know share your interior experience and it's respected listened to heard you know Hmm. yeah it sounds so clear (laughs) when you say it like that and I'm also like (gasps) it is so nuanced to figure that out yeah exactly exactly and that's one thing I brought to the table and polysecure, it was like, you know, even just negotiating, do we want to be attachment based partners? Like just that, you know, like, do you have the bandwidth? Do you have the availability to sort of be a responsive, attuned, regular enough person? It's so like when you say safe, I'm like, oh, thinking about before I started healing my attachment style, I'm a recovering triple avoidant that's leaning dismissive avoidant in my current relationship. <laughs> and <laughs> I like, I couldn't even define safe before I would like, if you had asked me before I'd found out about attachment, like, do you feel safe? I'd be like, what is even that? Like, I'm not even sure what that means. Right. In my body. Or, yeah, exactly. Or sometimes we're like, well, yeah, my partner's not screaming at me or hitting me or getting physically violent. Right. So isn't that safety? And it's like, part, that's a big part of it. Yeah. But yeah. not all of it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like you can go a step beyond. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, when I hear that, I was like, I couldn't even, how could I provide safety for someone else when I can't yeah. do that to myself? Mm, right. Yeah. So I think that's an important piece is for people to define for themselves and then with their partners, like what is safety to you and what things do you need to feel emotionally safe? Right? What is attunement to you? What kind of responsiveness matters, right? What doesn't matter? (laughs) Yeah, right. So we can better align and match together. And what do you have to say to listeners that are like, I'm just even scared to say those words? Yeah. Are you scared because it's just your own fear or because you're in a relationship that can't, that doesn't allow the space for that level of dialogue, right? And if if it's the latter, then, you know, um, bringing that up or getting support with a third party to be able to bring that up. Yeah. That's beautiful. And if it's the first one. <laughs> yeah. If, it's just, if you, have, you have an amazing partner, right. And it's just your own stuff, which that happens too. Right. Again, probably seeking support, you know, whether it's like listening to things, doing audio books, doing workbooks, or, you know, getting support of someone who can work with your trauma and your attachment so that you can feel more trusting when you actually have a person who's showing up well with you. Mm. Mm. I love that. 
I hope that listeners hear that because I've worked with clients that are like, I love the scripts you provide, but I just can't even imagine saying these words Mm. and digging into the belief behind that of like, what does it mean if I am the person that says these kinds of things? Like, what is holding me back? Is it the person on the other end or is it the brain, you know, the brain I'm dealing with right here inside me (laughs) that is holding on to the fear around saying this stuff? Yeah. And I think that's sort of a byproduct of like the way we conceive of needs Mm. that we, we allow for like the basic biological needs and we're very, you know, then we put the word needy or too Mm. much onto actual psychological interpersonal needs, you know, like, yeah, having a partner that's somewhat mostly reliable and consistent and is responsive and is, you know, warm and comforting when you're struggling, like that's baseline. Yeah. So, yeah. So really like read it. That's not you being needy. <laughs> yeah. It's actually a healthy standard. So I do, I, I feel like that's a lot with certain clients. A lot of my work is just defining a healthy standard of expectation in relationship mm. mm-hmm. and, and sort of deconstructing this idea that having relationship needs in a relationship is needy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that is huge. Yeah. That is really huge. I remember working with a couple therapists many years ago. And this is before I even found out. This is years before I found out about attachment theory. But I remember being in her office and she's like, okay, so what are your needs? And I was like, I can't have needs. <laughs> you were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny looking back. But I'm like, right. that was such a palpable moment of like, mm. and I, can, I mean, I remember that moment of like, well, I can't be needy. Like, I can't be that person because then it means all these like ripple, you know, fill in the blank ripple effect. I'm too much. I'm a burden on someone else. I'm weak because I'm accepting how like all of those things about having needs. Right. Or I'll be abandoned once I speak up about my needs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or targeted or yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Oh, it goes so deep. It's so wild. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for just like making that so simple because I feel like a lot of people hear about attachment theory and then it, they can kind of get lost in the weeds about who am I? What is my partner? And just having that kind of waypoint of like, why is this so important? Yeah. In any type of relationship that you're in. Exactly. Yeah. So helpful. Any style of attachment. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think like you and I are talking probably today mostly about romantic partnerships, but I think this goes beyond too of like friendships and Absolutely. Any relationship that you're in that you're spending multiple hours per week with. Exactly. Yeah. Anyone that you're sort of, you know, putting your attachment needs in their basket, regardless of whether it's romantic or platonic or everything in between. Yeah. 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 I love that. Okay. So something that really struck me while I was reading the book is that monogamous couples often rely on the structure of monogamy. Yes. To provide security in their relationship. I mean, I like, <laughs> I died. I died when I, I was just like, this gave me this, like, I felt a burden lift from my shoulders when I read this because I, many years ago with my husband, like, like, I want to be open. We're going to step our toe into these waters. And I was really interested in trying to, um, you know, we had like a coach to like open up mm. and we were like trying to do all the things and I was so scared. I just like, couldn't make the leap. I just couldn't, I mm. felt like I couldn't cross over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my partner was like, so gung ho. And then we experienced, um, a, a break in our, in our kind of commitments to each other. Mm. And that, that completely just broke down the structure of security that we had in a relationship. Right. And it has completely honestly, that moment, like completely clouded my vision of a relationship since. Mm. And I think that actually reading your book allowed me to see like, whoa, we were actually really highly secure before, before that moment. Yeah. And then this kind of rift happened and all it brought out all my insecurities. Yeah. So I feel like I'd love to just hear more about this kind of like security cloak that a lot of monogamous couples are wearing. 
Yeah, that's a great phrase for it. A security cloak <laughs> or monogamous, you know, security blanket. Yeah. Yeah. The structure of monogamy is clear. It's defined. It's known. It's accepted. It's supported <laughs> you know, yeah. within right, interpersonally, the people in our life, legally, you know, societally, culturally. So it's like, and there is that sense of, oh, yeah, once we're especially if it's legal marriage, you know, like we're good. You know, or, or I have the safety and security that I need, right? Or when people move in together, if they have a kid together, these kind of structural things or they merge, you know, finances. Mm. And I'm not poo-pooing on any of those things. Do those things. They're great. Yeah. Right? If that's what you want, awesome. I do those things. Right? Yeah. But looking at, oh, am I using those things to feel safe and secure? when my interpersonal experience with my partner might not actually be secure functioning, right? Can we talk to each other? Can we support each other? Are we attuning to each other? Are we nice to each other, right? Are we kind? Can we have difficult conversations and get through it? You know, is there intimacy? Is there comfort? Is there celebration even? You know, mm. Like supporting each other to grow, right? All of those safe haven and secure base things, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So a lot of times people did feel really secure as a couple and partnership and then they open up and they're like, oh, whoa, <laughs> we don't have that same structure anymore. I feel pretty damn wobbly here. Yeah. Yeah. Or now I'm seeing the ways that we were treating each other wasn't actually very secure. Uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, so huge. Yeah. So it is. So, you know, it's an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Right. They're like, okay, great. Let's up level into more secure functioning together. Mm -hmm. um, but if people are opening up, it can be like a double, triple duty because you're doing the whole opening up thing and new people and new agreements. And then you're like, oh, we have to still work. Like we actually have to put effort into our relationship mm -hmm. too. <laughs> we can't just focus outward and think this is going to work. Right. Yeah. Which to me sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> it, it can be. It can be. <laughs> and for many people, it's totally worth it. There's amazing payoff, right? And for some people, it's a lot of work. It's it's hard. It's yeah. a lot of work. Yeah. yeah. And the flip too. I mean, many people would be like, monogamy is a lot of work. Or it's, mm -hmm. you know, there's issues that come up in monogamy that are difficult to navigate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like it's just such a permission engine <laughs> when I hear yeah. it. I was like, oh, <laughs> when, I, when I think about the way that I've acted, I feel like I've definitely shamed myself like since the broken agreement. And now after reading the book, I'm like, oh, it was totally normal that my insecure attachment system would just completely flare up in that situation. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And non-monogamy is in the book, I wrote inherently more, less secure. And I think I would maybe change that word. It's a strong word. <laughs> but it's definitely relatively less secure than monogamy is, mm. right? It's less secure of a structure. Mm. And that comes with some benefits, a lot of benefits, mm -hmm. right? But initially, it can bring up a lot of that insecurity mm. that people weren't anticipating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just talk about like what a quick um, way to, if you are, cognizant of what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> Which I was not. When <laughs> <laughs> right. we had, I mean, we had a great couple of therapists at the time and I, she propelled me into this kind of journey that I've been on. And I'm so, so, so grateful for that. But if you are cognizant of what's going on again, this is such a wonderful entry point into actually like healing, but it can be hard. <laughs> doesn't mean it's easy. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. I'm curious, actually, I kind of want to jump ahead a little bit. So given that, I'm curious, like at what point in an attachment journey have you, do you typically see clients? Like what stage yeah. are they in and I, what's going on with their attachment at that time? I mean, I see people, I feel like everywhere on the journey, mm. you know, in all the different phases. Um, but yeah, usually couples... Some people are really reaching out. They haven't started a certain journey yet. There haven't been attachment ruptures yet. And they're just like, we want support, you know? And mm. I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> That's ideal. That's ideal. Um, and that happens. But a lot of times, you know, the majority of the time people are reaching out after there's been struggle, challenge, attachment ruptures, you know, and they're really needing to heal those, mm. work through those. Yeah. 
Mm. And, and that's not always in the beginning of opening up. I mean, this mm. could show up years and decades into being non-monogamous, mm. you know, polyamorous with you know, multiple partners, that certain things happen, that it's mm. a new attachment rupture. But yeah, they're usually coming to me at that point that, you know, stuff's accumulated. And what does it look like when they're in that space? Yeah, it can look really confusing, you know, because there's pain and there's usually resentment and buildup and responsibility and accountability that need to happen and repair that needs to happen, right? As well as just keep moving forward in like, Sometimes what happens is it's hard to catch. Like, can you stop the ruptures from happening? Um, and that sometimes can be really difficult. Like if partners are like, we've had a rupture, we can pause, not necessarily even pause with non-monogamy, but we can keep doing what we do without more ruptures, right? Um, or hurts then, and heal what happens, great. But if you're like, oh, this big thing happened and now little to big to medium things keep happening, it, it's really hard to repair and recover after that so hard i mean if they keep coming <laughs> yeah yeah they're building up and, and that can make it really difficult right and a lot of times it's unintentional mm. like people are like haha i'm gonna you know <laughs> initiate an attachment rupture right now right. a lot of times it's like oh they didn't even know this would be a thing right or they don't agree it wouldn't have been a thing for them but it really is for one of their partners you know so Mm. Yeah. And what are the common issues that you see with the different insecure attachment types? Yeah. So you mean in non-monogamy? Yes. Specifically? Yeah. 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 I mean, with secure functioning, secure style, you see someone who can do the back and forth, ebb and flow, communicate, you know, negotiate, right? Bring up topics when needed, you know. What I see a lot with the dismissive avoidant is they don't mean to, but they paint one picture of what's happening with other partners. And then to this one partner, they're like, that's not what's happening. (laughs) And, and it's not a lie. It's not a deception. Like often they are minimizing details or information, or they don't even realize, Oh, there's information you need here. I should have told you this beforehand. Whoops. I'm telling you after, like, it's often not again, intentional, but it's like, Things aren't registering that, oh, I should communicate. This would be ideal to communicate with my partner ahead of time. Or I'm sort of painting this picture of a relationship as less significant or important as it is. And my partner totally feels that that's not the case. Mm. (laughs) Right? So that becomes the thing I often see with, you know, dismissive avoidance style. They keep getting in trouble and it's not their fault, right? Or they, you know, they're not doing it intentionally again. Um, they keep messing up and then they start to feel like nothing they do is enough. Mm. All their, their partner just has complaints about them, you know, and they might be in a relationship where it's newer. So those kind of challenges and complaints aren't showing up yet. It feels really easy, right? They might even be showing up more secure with somebody else. Mm, wow. With the anxious, not always, but there's often that grasp to wanting more structure, wanting more control, wanting more information. And some of those things are like, yeah, that's what you would need, you know, whether in any style to feel more safe and secure. And then of course, with the anxious, there's can be a bit more, you know, that preoccupied grasping. Yeah. Yeah. And really like misinterpreting what a partner's doing, always assuming it's one thing, you know, not asking, but assuming very quickly. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the, you know, anxious, preoccupied, and I've said this before, within any structure, they they feel the shift, they feel a change really quickly. But their interpretation of that change is not always right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, they're really good um, authors of stories. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so there can be like, you know, tallying tit for tat Oof, yes. you know you spent this many nights with this person mm. spending that to me and again there's validity in some of that you know like if you're like wait i'm supposed to be an equal partner let's say right or you're even calling me a primary partner and i'm getting at best one night a week with you or every two weeks and your other partners are getting juicy sexy dates most of the time you mm. know that needs to be balanced out that's that's a valid secure request right 
Um, But sometimes that anxiousness approaches it in a way that really actually pushes their partner away because it comes off more as complaints, not requests. Mm. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they'll do the dance back and forth. You know, um, I'll see them sort of sometimes take on certain of different styles of non-monogamy and sort of in the name of that philosophy, they're saying what they're doing, but it's not always from that actual aligned place. It's more from the fearful avoidant place, mm. you know? Um, Does that yeah. mean like saying yes when really they mean no? Yeah. Saying yes when they mean no, or someone might shift into, let's say, and say, Oh, I'm solo polyamorous or relationship anarchist. And it's more of an expression of that disorganized than them actually being that. Mm. And to be very clear, there's people doing solo polyamory or who are relationship anarchists that are showing up very secure or they're anxious or they're avoided. Like I see it all in those styles. Right. Um, But sometimes they're fearful with avoidant, you know, can sort of present that it's the style when it's actually something more in their attachment system. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. So it's like they're, kind of gravitating towards like chaos in a relationship because they're really attuned to yeah to chaos in, in general in life. Yeah. yeah. Or regardless of whatever style they're saying they're, they are, or they are mm-hmm. spousing, you know, right. There can be a lot of drama and chaos and drama within the polycule that keeps getting like a lot of avoidable stuff mm. in any structure. Yeah. Mm. Wow. That's so beautiful. And I just want to say, if, if you're hearing these terms and they're new to you, I highly recommend going to read Polysecure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where you map all of the terms out. And it's, it's so interesting. Yeah. 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 Fascinating. Exactly. Thank you for mapping that out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in probably the fearful avoidant or the dismissive, you know, sometimes there can be um, a fear of commitment. And like, mm-hmm. understandably so, like you yeah. have been hurt <laughs> in certain yeah. ways that were pretty, like, it's a big deal. You know, you've been mistreated, like you rightfully have trust concerns, right? So there can be a way that polyamory is really nice because it's like, oh, I don't have to put my eggs in any one basket. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So it can also be healing in that way. And I'm curious for secure people, what type of issues do you see come up for them? That's a great question. Um, if any. <laughs> oh, I think they do. It might have to do with changes in the relationship, transitions in life. You know, how do we adjust to a new, to having new people in our life? Mm. Children, babies, job changes, job losses, health issues. Right. And, and often I think with secure folks, we're still all different. Right. So we have different love languages. We have different erotic blueprints. We have different, you know, you named astrology. We have different astrologies, right? (laughs) Different personality types. So a lot of times it's more like navigating and coming to a deeper understanding of those differences. And then how do we work with them better? Mm. Right. How do you allow space for two autonomous, different people sharing a life or lives together? Mm. I yeah. mean, life is, life will come at you. I love that you just said this because you can be as secure as possible and life is still going to happen. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I've had experiences in adulthood where I was like, well, that was just an immediate disorganized attachment. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, woo. <laughs> and it's, you know, hopefully temporary, right? Yeah. But it was like, yeah, that was a really difficult life event you know, or relationship rupture that wasn't just my fabrication. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm curious. No system is perfect, although I wish sometimes that they were. So I'm curious, like, where do you see attachment theory lacking? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, obviously we already named that it can be too focused on the dyad of partner to partner um, parent to child. And often the original research was more mother to child. Yes. Right. And wasn't sort of including like, hi, we might have two moms or, you know, in the seventies in the research, we have a dad, you know, like mm-hmm. we might have two dads. You know, now we have, you know, 
trans parents, non-binary parents, we have step parents, we have blended families, you know, we have all these different kind of relation, uh, family structures. And how does that impact attachment? You know, so just beyond just two people, right? Um, and as we already talked about the different levels that I include in the book in that nested model of attachment, you know, and then the obvious other one that I was focused on is how, you know, mononormative attachment sort of research has become or the people who are the experts, you know, they're really prescribing that you have to be monogamous to be in a secure attachment. Right. Or they might not say those words, but then when they tell you, how do you create secure functioning? Right. Myself and other non-monogamous people were like, wait, I can't do half of those things because right. <laughs> right. I'm not like living with my partner or I'm not, you know, married to my partner. So the heteronormativity, unfortunately, you know, I think it was a blind spot and really got sort of infused into a lot of the attachment advice. Yeah. Yeah. And then people's awareness, too, are really around the earth, around connection to the planet. You know, I think that's sort of expanding. Yeah. Oh, my heart just goes out to anyone that feels um, like othered by attachment. Yeah. Yeah. It sucks. And you deserve better. You really do. I love that. Yeah. The other thing I would say is um, it can become... And it wasn't meant to be this way, but it, you know, there's the information and then what people do with that information, right? how they right. interpret yes. it, how they use it. And so some people are weaponizing these attachment styles, right? Or they're essentializing people into like, you are this, right? Yeah. You're an anxious, you're an avoidant. Oh, stay away from that fearful, withdrawn or disorganized, you know, and sort of pathologizing people because of yeah. their insecure attachment styles and, and not you know, holding a static view instead of a growth mindset, that all of these attachment styles can ebb and flow, they can change, they can heal, they can even get worse, you know, right? Like depending on life. And um, we're also usually not one style. Mm. Yeah, that is, I just want to snaps for that. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Pay attention. Right. (laughs) You know, exactly. So it's more interesting for me to say, where are you preoccupied and anxious and where are you avoidant and dismissive? Yeah. Because often like the preoccupied style, right? Well, they're often avoiding themselves. <laughs> they're often 100%. like can be can be very dismissive or downplaying of themselves in that yeah. way, right? So just where is it showing up versus thinking that it's not? Mm. Mm. I love that. That is so beautiful. So I'm curious if you could share what has helped you create secure attachment in your relationships. Yeah, great question. Um, Well, of course, the hearts that I lay out in the book of sort of, you know, these are sort of, here's the ingredients. So, you know, I'm keeping track of that as well in my relationships, that the way we're present and the way we express delight, the way we're attuned, the way we have rituals and routines and um, the way we deal with conflict, those really matter. But I've done something new in this relationship I've been with, been in for a year. And I've never, like, we've come up with our sort of agreements about how much maybe we share or what we do with others and how much we communicate. Like, we've had non-monogamous agreements, but I've never so quickly so almost made these, like, attachment agreements. Mm. Yeah, and it's working. Oh, my <laughs> God. Share yeah. more. What, is yeah. it, what does it so look we're like? Made- Made these agreements to um, to lean in instead of lean away, which mm. for me, who's going to have the tendency, like when I start to feel stuff internally, I'm going to pull back, right? And sometimes I do just need space or time to like before I even can articulate. But there's also a pulling back that just feels horrible, right? Mm. It's creating distance. So we made this agreement. If you think you shouldn't say it, you have to say it. Oh, my God. Oh, my husband is like, no. Right. right. (laughs) And it's great. And every time we do this, like, up, here's a thing, small or big, that I don't want to say, it always has brought us closer. It's incredible. Like, I just, I keep being surprised. I'm like, these damn agreements, right? Um, Another one is to really you know, have the principle of courageous conversations, you know, 
Um, so things like that, that are speaking to our specific attachment needs. Mm, yeah. So beautiful. Yeah. And the ways that, you know, they would maybe avoid something is different the way that I would and making sure we're like creating these agreements that sort of hold us accountable and mm. catch that so that it doesn't start to spin out into a thing. Mm, I yeah. Love that. Yeah. And what do you think like creates that secure bed where you can be like, or sorry, bedrock, I should say. (laughs) (laughs) Or bed, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like what creates that in order for you to be able to say the hard things? Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think there was in this relationship, a baseline of just like, yes, we want to be in relationship together. We're committed to being in relationship together. Like it's meaningful and really understanding just the value that we have in each other's life, like why we're special to each other. You know, I feel like that's so, any relationship, it's important to know, like, why do I matter to you? And and why do you want to be here? Yeah. So articulating that, yes, having some baseline container of there is a relationship that we're in, you know, we want it to continue. We want it to grow. Yeah. It's crazy how we we lose sight of that sometimes. I know. I know. Especially like long, long, long term relationships. It's like it's almost like we treat the person closest to us the worst. I know. Right. I know. And we automate each other, which is like a natural phenomenon that happens in our nervous system. You know, it's like a good thing. And yet it's, you know, not a great thing when we automate our partners. Right. It's good when we're automating how to drive or tie our shoes or ride a bicycle or cook an egg. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. But not when it's actually automating a human. And then we just default. Oh yeah, I know you. I don't have to pay attention or you're going to be there. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have to put any work into this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's so not fair, Yeah, (laughs) but it's totally what we do. (laughs) Default (laughs) mode. Oh, wow. Exactly. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I love that. I feel like one of the signposts that you're showing up as secure is being able to meet your partner's needs. Yeah. Whether, however insecure they are showing up. And I always say like, you only need one secure partner to make a relationship secure because if you are able to say like, Hey, I know you need this thing, whatever that is. I heard a story recently of someone um, always giving the last part of their meal to their partner because because growing up, they, you know, I, I don't know what was going on growing up, but maybe they <laughs> just felt like they never got like the final piece of dinner. I don't know what it was, but that helps their partner feel like they're being taken care of and that they're, you know, being thought of and being seen and understood. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on, but yeah. it's what a simple, beautiful way to like be there for them. Yes. And I think that's the key is figuring out the manual of our partners. And a lot of times it's like simple, small things make a big impact. We just have to figure out what those are though. Yeah. 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 That's beautiful. I love that. Well, thanks for talking with me today. This was just amazing. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Can you share with our listeners how they can follow along with what you're up to? Yeah. They can just go to my website, jessicafern.com. Um, if they subscribe to my website, they'll get updates of any, you know, things that are happening. My plan is to have some online courses maybe this summer, um, some offerings. My new book, Polywise, is coming out the end of August. Oh my God. Yeah. Tell us more about that. Yeah. That's sort of the rest of the things. Like my initial body of work was like, here's like the five or six things that are really hard. Here's the like deep rooted challenges, you know, with doing non-monogamy and what do we need to do? And attachment challenges was one thing on that list. But the first book became the entire book on that. So this next book, Polywise, is the other things on that list. Yeah, so paradigm changes. Hello, paradigm shifts are, you know, pretty big to change your worldview, your whole relational experience. Um, So how do we do paradigm shifts? Often a paradigm shift exposes or the transition to non-monogamy exposes all of these sort of um, underlying issues in a relationship. So how do you deal with things getting exposed? Uh, Codependency is a factor in all relationships, you know, and so looking at codependency, um, looking at differences between partners, and then the awakening of the self, the way that, you know, shifting a paradigm 
can really create this magnificent awakening of the self. And it also can create a very difficult sort of dark night of the soul deconstruction of the self. So, yeah. So there's, oh, and how to heal ruptures. That's in there too. Like, oh my God. Yeah. 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 So there's a lot. There's a I lot that we, that we, 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 right, we threw in the kitchen sink. Is that the right phrase? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I can't wait to read it. I feel like there's going to be so many nuggets for whatever type of relationship. It, um, I think there will have. be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're, we're learning from the best. So relationship nerds, you show us, right. tell us what to do. <laughs> 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 well, thank you. I just want to yes. thank you for your body of work and for being on the show today. This is so fun to talk with you. About. Oh, thank you, Sarah. Yeah. I love you're asking amazing questions. So. Oh, thank you. Fun thank for you. me. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listeners and um, we'll tune in next week for another fantastic attachment episode. All right. That's it for today's episode. I just want to thank Jessica Fern for coming on the show today. What an amazing conversation that was. I really loved how she talked about often the issues that come up for the different attachment styles in having multiple relationships. That is such just such wisdom. And yeah, I hope you enjoyed. And if you are looking for an attachment coach, I would love to work with you. I help people that are dealing with an insecure attachment style and want to just show up authentically and, and lovingly and safe in their relationships. And if you're interested, I do one-on-one coaching. You can book a discovery call with me to see if this is a good fit for you by going to sarahcohan.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N.com forward slash coaching, where you can find a little bit more about my one-on-one coaching program and book a call to see if we're a good fit for each other. I would love to hear from you. And I just want to wish you the best of luck on your attachment journey. I hope that this episode helps you, whether you're in a monogamous relationship or you're in multiple relationships, whatever type of relationship, situationship that you're in, trans, non-binary, LGBT, queer, all of the things. Yeah. I just hope that this is a little nugget for you on your journey. And um, it's an honor to be here with you. All right. I will be back here next week uh, with another attachment-related episode. Thank you so much. 